Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 157th podcast, 167th video cast for the week ending December 29th, 2022. We'll cover the media real quick and then get right down to it. This is our last video cast for the year. It went by really quickly. Uh, so first and foremost, I would like to thank uh Kat Myers, I'd like to thank Kelly O'Grady and Liz Clayman for having me on Fox Business The Clayman Countdown this week to discuss the general economy uh outlook and Cooper Standard, which is now up uh 56% since inception. Uh and for those of you who have been with us on the podcast, uh kudos to you and I and I think that's the beginning of good things to come. So you can check out that full interview here with Kelly O'Grady. Uh next I'd like to thank uh, DJ Durkin and Rebecca Mezzestrano for having me on the street.com, uh, to, uh, to do an interview and outlook. A lot of really good detailed info here. You want to check that out. I'd like to thank, uh, Amruta Kandikar and Ankika Biswas for having me in their Reuters article this week. I'd like to thank Alexandra Stigrad for having me in the New York Post, one of my favorite, eh, my favorite paper, I'll admit it. My favorite business paper is Barron's, but uh, that's my favorite paper. I enjoy it. Uh, I'd like to thank Akash Sriram for including me in his article uh, on Reuters as well. And I'd like to thank uh, Ann Berry and Michael Teak for having me on uh, public.com last Friday. Uh, this was really good about emerging markets in China, so you want to check that out. And finally, Amruta Kandikar for having me on an article on Reuters this week as well. Very grateful for that. Let's get right down to it here. Um, okay, we're going to go through. First off, we're going to go through some sector stuff. Um, and we're also... So I want to go through some sectors just so you can see what's oversold here because a lot of selling in December with tax loss selling more than normal uh, because of the year, worst year uh, since uh, 2008. So it created a lot of opportunity here, but in certain sectors. So communication services, no one wants to touch it with the 10-foot pole. Historically, you can see uh, the odds favor buying at these levels. Same with the NASDAQ and tech. No one wants, you can't give them away. Uh, same thing, consumer discretionary. We're going to cover that. Uh, towards the end, but this is going to be one of the highest earning sectors next year. Uh, and again, no one wants it, so you can find some opportunities in there. Um, what are people, you know, clamoring for? They're clamoring for healthcare because it's defensives. It's already had its run. They're clamoring for, um, uh, industrial stocks. It's already had its run. Um, here's tech at levels where you want to be a buyer. Uh, materials, they're rolling over. They've already had their run in the short term. Uh, NASDAQ, again, near buy levels. Um, so you see what everyone's pitching on TV, get into energy, get into materials, get into industrials. It's rear view mirror looking. I think forward looking as rates stop going up. I think there's going to be a bid for cash generative tech, consumer discretionary, communication services. But again, I do think that emerging markets are going to outperform developed markets on a relative basis. Here again, staples already had their run. Everyone's pushing staples and defensives right now. I think that's the exact wrong move. Transports are bottoming um, and uh, and utilities got defensive, etc. So um, 
The other thing I want to go into is uh, some of these indicators that we cover each week just to give you a, a barometer on where we are. Here's the put call ratio, 10-day put call ratio at record levels. You, you don't want to be a seller when everyone's buying insurance exactly at the bottom, which happens every single time. Uh, and, uh, and it happened this time as well. We'll see if this is a, a holding bottom, but, uh, I think that would be maximum, uh, pain for a lot of people if we pushed higher and, and massively higher, uh, in coming weeks. So let's see how that works out. Same thing with the NASDAQ EMA. Again, you buy down at these levels, you get paid historically. Um, all, everything points to NASDAQ being oversold down 33% year to date. If you can't find bargains there, find another business. Uh, you don't want to be buying things wholesale because uh, some things are cash generative and some are not. And I think those things that are not cash generative uh, are not going to be good investments. Same thing with REITs. We talked last year, the last shall be first, last week rather. REITs and emerging markets were the worst uh, for the year. Although now I think um, uh, the China stocks are outperforming, certainly outperforming the NASDAQ, but may even be outperforming the S&P year to date, uh, what a difference a couple of months makes. Uh, but I think REITs, there will be some opportunity in 2023. You talk real estate to anyone now, there's pessimism. I think that it's going to get more pessimistic, but uh, we'll be looking there probably in, in coming weeks and months. Um, uh, NASDAQ again, everything points to NASDAQ is where you're going to find the value. PMO buy all is down here. We'll see if we can get this thing to ramp back up to 100. Um, Okay, same thing with PMO by SPX. We've covered these many times. I just wanted to give you a visual of where we are and what's there to be bought. Here's the CPC, not on a 10-day moving average. Again, you know, higher than pandemic lows yesterday, and uh, everyone was panicking. I had people, um, uh, you know, DMing me, oh, Disney just made a marginal new low. Oh, because they don't know what they own. They're traders. They're emotional people. And, I, you know, I, I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't know what you own, just dump it in the hole and I'll be I'll be the type of person that's buying from you. And then today, of course, it was up three percent after everyone was panicking or two. And I don't know. I don't even know where it closed. I don't I don't look at this stuff when you know what you own. You're not worried about it. You think one, two, three years out, you know, it's a double um, and uh, and you go from there. Uh, McClellan oscillator, same thing. Uh, so, you know, you just go skew. We talked about this. There's nothing to ensure the house already burned down. Um, VIX is, is trending down. So all the things are in place. Um, been a bumpy ride. By the way, I want to thank existing clients. Uh, you know, choppy year. Now everything is on the upturn with China bottoming finally in October with uh, biotech bottoming in May up 26%. The China stocks all up 50%. Uh, and, uh, and Cooper Standard, our top three position, Cooper Standard is now up 56%, uh, in a down market. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, and new people that just came on board, congratulations to you. You are set up for a monster, uh, 2023 along with my existing clients. I'm very, very excited as we turn the calendar. Uh, and we're already seeing, uh, signs of that, uh, uh, you know, happening already with, with uh, with our core positions. Um, okay, this is a ratio sector chart. Um, this is real estate to SPX. So, you know, most people buy on, you know, breakouts and that's, you know, it's not, not our thing. We like to buy when things are out of favor. Um, you know, last time REITs were this favorable would have been 2018. 
than uh, early 2021, and they're now again. So we think REITs are going to be an opportunity. They're bottoming relative to the S&P 500. KWeb, that's the China Internet, you can see put in that double bottom in October uh, and is now starting to rip higher. Uh, this is like an ideal double bottom. You just see them over and over and over. So we love the China Internet uh, stocks. Bonds relative to S&P look like they're they're bottoming a little bit here. Um, uh, biotech, okay, great day today. Again, they had this huge drawdown, uh, even more pronounced than 2016 tightening cycle. Uh, and now they are just starting to dramatically outperform uh, since May. As we've said, it's been in this sideways grind for three months. Like I've never seen a chart. This is the relative ratio. But if you look at like the XBI, it's literally been in this narrow sideways grind like every single day for two months. It's unbelievable. But, uh, you know, that that's how you get these bottoming processes. You go up, you check back, throw, throw everyone out. And this move here um, in the XBI was up uh, 100 plus percent. And I think we're going to see similar stuff. Uh, coming forward. Here's materials, what everyone's pitching on TV, buy materials, buy materials. We think uh, that that move has already happened. Um, here's communication services. You can't give them away. You can just Google XLC and see the top holdings and find a few you like. Um, energy, everyone's pitching that's going to be the big thing. Uh, I, I, I think energy will work for long term, I, it needs to come down a lot before I would reload on that. Uh, we made our money with that 2020 and 2021 uh, and early 2022, maybe a little too early 2022. But, you know, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. Uh, financials, uh, kind of neutral land. Uh, but, I, you know, you look at uh, Bank of America, Wells down at these levels. I, I don't like them with the inverted yield curve. We made all our money again, 2020 to 2021, bought at 2501, sold in the high 50s, uh, rinse and repeat. It's down at 40. I mean, maybe we would nibble, but there's just too much other stuff to do. Industrials, everyone's pitching that. Again, you know, it's, it's probably the best days are in the rear view mirror, and that's why everyone's excited about it. Um, and, um, uh, staples, same thing. All the defensives are up. Everyone's pitching those utilities. Uh, there are a couple utilities I still like, though. Uh, healthcare, no. This is different than biotech, by the way, which we covered biotech. This is defensive healthcare. I think Cigna, I think UNH. Uh, and I, I think that trade is long in the tooth. Everyone's pitching it on TV. That gives me greater conf confirmation. Dis discretionary, I think that's where you want to look. Everyone says the consumer's dead. They are not. You saw the MasterCard spending up 7.6%. Uh, this is from Seth Golden, uh, does great work. He's uh, uh, talking about um, the weeks. Uh, he posts this chart from Bespoke uh, Investment Group, consecutive weeks with a negative AAII bull bear spread. And you can see that uh, in all these instances, this has been an extreme uh, pronounced. I mean, we weren't even close to that during the great financial crisis. So, uh, the last time we saw anything like this was after the pandemic when no one was believing the rally uh, in uh, summer and and fall, uh, and it just kept going and going and going. And the other time was the SNL crisis during the 1990s. So we like the risk-reward here. Um, uh, also from Seth, looking at the last seven bear markets since the 1987 crash, we have seen the market bounce back an average 43.6% over 12 months. Uh, so it just shows, you know, 33% drawdown during COVID, 
uh, 20% during the trade war in 2018. This is the S&P, which is what we just did, by the way, 20%. This is 25 or maybe 28% peak to trough. Uh, great financial crisis was 56, tech bubble, uh, Asian money crisis, 98, Gulf War, 1990, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the rebounds are huge. The same thing, uh, uh, historically when the 64, 40 portfolio has fallen 20%. Good things happen the following uh, next two years. And you can see uh, this is from Ned Davis. He's posting. And that was 73, 74. That if uh, 74 it fell this much, the next two years were up uh, 15, seven, it looks like 17 and 15% consecutive back to back. Then it happened in 30, 31. Next two years were up 17.5 and 35% back to back. So, so that's, uh, it shows the risk reward. MasterCard spending, we saw total retail up 7.6%. In-store was 6.8. And online was still up 10.6. So people are doing more online, not only in the U.S., i.e. a la Amazon, which we've been talking about, and in China, a la Alibaba. <laughs> uh, so the, the big thing was restaurants were up 15.1%. People are getting out and about. Uh, electronics, they loaded up during COVID. Jewelry, I guess they loaded up during COVID. Yeah, there was a watch craze during COVID. Those are down. Uh, and all the crypto people had to sell back their Rolexes. Uh, and then apparel, um, by the way, maybe a good year to buy Lambos if you're into that thing. Uh, I'd, I'd be more, uh, interested in, in a McLaren. I don't know how many crypto guys bought those, but, uh, we'll see what 2023 brings. Um, Apparel up 4.4%, so people are getting back out need that. Here's why a bull market may have already started, even though it doesn't feel like it, according to eToro's investment analyst. This is Callie Cox, I believe. Yes. Um, if the economy avoids a recession, then it's possible stocks have already bottomed out and will tick higher in 2023. Typically, new bulls don't actually feel like bulls, but it's costly if you miss the beginning of one. And the point that she makes that I thought was interesting... Um, a bull market starts at the lowest point of a bear and is confirmed when an index reaches a new 52-week high. So by the time everyone says the coast is clear and we're in a new bull market, because they're going to call every rally a bear market uh, bounce, and they're going to draw that slanted like line down that you see from all the people on Twitter. Uh, and um, and by the time they realize that it's not a bear market rally and we're at new highs, they've missed, you know, 40, 50, well, let's see. 3,800 to 4,800. Uh, so yeah, you know, they'll, they'll have missed 30-something, 30 35%. And you, you just, you, you can't, you miss those, you're, you're toast. So, uh, you can never, you know, never recover from that. So, um, <clears throat> here's an article that one of our listeners sent, um, micro, on Micron when everyone was negative on this sector after, uh, their earnings. Um, it said the auto market for chips is soaring and it goes on. This is called the technology letter.com and it goes through all the deals. This is stuff we've been saying for months that the, the allocation was going to go to electronic shortage, uh, into, uh, auto glut. Now they're shipping the chips like crazy. They're shipping the cars and, um, and that's going to increase the numbers for Cooper standard. And we're seeing it in the last few days in the stock. So, that's exciting to see. Just the beginning in our view. 
Uh, Manifest have an inflation, a world that is not ending. A top strategist offer ideas on investing for a brighter future. His basic thesis is the manna from heaven is this perfect situation where inflation is going to average three to five percent per year, which is what we've been saying for eight months uh, that they have to run inflation above trend, but they have to keep pretending that they want to get it to two percent. The reason they have to run inflation above trend is because you've got 120 percent debt to GDP. And they can't afford the interest service payments. This is not a Volcker scenario where he had debt to GDP at 31% in 1980. Uh, it's a debt to GDP of 120%. So the more they tighten, the more inflationary it is because they're not collecting enough tax money to service the new interest payments. And the only way they're going to be able to service them is to print money from the Fed, uh, which will be far more inflationary than just actually uh, stop tightening, pause, leave rates elevated for some time and let inflation run three to five percent while you continue to to uh talk hawkish so you keep inflation expectations down um this was interesting this is from ken fisher he there's an article in the new york post why 2023 will be like 1967 summer of love for the stock market um i don't know if he listens to our video cast but we put out this analog literally like eight weeks ago um uh, about 1966 and 1967 and possibly following that analog. So we'll see if it plays out. He put a little more color in terms of what was going on in the world, etc. But, uh, you know, this this is something that no one can believe right now and uh, and no one would buy into. And that's exactly when something like this actually happens. This would be maximum effery for the way people are positioned right now. And everyone would keep keep calling these bear market balances. We're going to go take out the lows. And then you get up here and they all get completely effed. Uh, they all jump in here and then they get shaken out. They get no gains for the next, you know, half a year or whatever. So while everyone's calling for, I, I love it. It's, it's now 100. The, first off, the triple break putt was the first thing. We were going to, we were supposed to go up into year end, then down into March. That would be the bottom at 3,200. And then we're going to have a great back half. And instead, we went down into year end. We probably have a good Q1 uh, when no one's expecting it or positioned for it. And then when everyone thinks it's going to be the back half, they'll all be call they'll all be jumping in because they missed it. And then we'll get probably uh, more muted returns. And and that also is consistent with the presidential cycle. The two best quarters of the four year cycle are actually coming up after the worst year, which is the second year of the four year presidential cycle, which was 2022 is followed by the best year of the presidential cycle 2023. And the first two quarters of that third year are the best. So it could be set up uh, for what we, we were talking about for eight weeks ago when everyone was glum in October 13th. And we were saying, look, you know, hang tight here. Uh, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And we put out this one. And I think it was like. Uh, one from the 50s. I'll, you can go back and check the video cast, but it's on my other desktop. But um, so that's that. So great article by Ken Fisher at my favorite paper, which is the New York Post. So you could actually, I posted it in what I'm reading today, I think over the weekend, but it's uh, Christmas Day, December 25th. Uh, why 2023 will be like 1967 summer of love for the stock market. And that's at the New York Post. So you can just uh, search that title. Healthcare deal making set to surge in 2023. That's what we're positioned for. 
but but what they're talking about is the deal flow that we referenced in last week's video cast podcast with all the biotech deals that are happening. Why? Because all of the big farmers have tons of cash. They've got patent clips coming due and they're going to have to buy that growth. And with the valuations where they are for biotech, game on, baby, as well as drug approvals, game on because COVID's a rearview mirror and they're they're refocused on it. This spurred some some of the uh, rally today, which is the continuing jobless claims, which we focus on every week, uh, hit 11 month highs. So now the Fed has cover to maybe pause or at least, you know, do uh, one last 25 basis points and being done uh, because uh, this uh, these jobless claims are are, uh, really starting to accelerate and uh, and hopefully they'll get ahead of it and um, keep rates elevated, but stop stop hiking them. Jeremy Siegel says real inflationary challenges are over, predicts 15 to 20% rally for U.S. stocks in the first half of 2023. We agree. Um, moving on. This is the China Mobility Tracker from Brendan Ahern. Over, he runs the KWeb ETF, puts out some good stuff on China last night every day. And um, uh, it just shows in uh, Chen Dao, it's basically all the way back after they reopened. Um, uh, what's the yellow one? Beijing is, is almost all the way back. Uh, Beijing is the highest it's been since, uh, November of November 14th. Um, you know, some of these other are just getting started. So this is all going to go back to, to highs, uh, and everyone's going to have herd immunity and we're off to the races. So that's good to see. BioNTech mRNA vaccine approved in Hong Kong last week. Uh, that's really, really good. Uh, all the rich people are going over and getting it for their friends. And uh, sooner or later, it's going to just wind up being in China and then it's over. Uh, China estimates uh, chest, estimates COVID surge is infecting 37 million people a day, uh, which means uh, so every three days they get 100 million. So 14 times three in about a month and a half, everyone in the country will have had that if that if that persists. Uh, and that's herd immunity. So they've been doing this for about two weeks. So another month and everyone will have had it, which is which is pretty good. Uh, China tech stocks are winning back investors after an awful year. Um, you know, opinion follows trends. Uh, they're up, you know, some 50, 50, 60 percent. And uh, here's Alibaba forward earning estimates are rebounding as well. They troughed in uh, in May. And they've been rallying ever since. Uh, so the fundamentals are actually following the price, which is good. Uh, China estimates 250 million people have caught COVID in 20 days. So um, so that's about right, you know, to, to get to where we need to be by mid-January. China stocks rise as top brokerages uh, predict swift, swift economic recovery from COVID impact. Um so we'll just get through this. Uh, Beijing to distribute Pfizer antiviral drug as COVID wave, wave strains healthcare system. I guess the lemons and peaches weren't working. Uh, so now they've got to get some serious medicine to deal with it properly and, and move on to the next thing. China's economy begins to reopen after three years of COVID isolation. This is a big deal, and I covered it on the uh, thestreet.com. People, uh, analysts are dramatically underestimating. This country is the second large, largest economy in the world. It's been closed for basically, you know, over two years, called two, three years. And the, the West has been carrying the water uh, through stimulus, through fiscal monetary policy, staying open, uh, doing the vaccinations, etc. 
and uh, we have no idea the impact that 5% GDP growth, the government set their target for 2023 at 5%, and they're doing the stimulus. The difference is the stimulus is going to work this time because people are free uh, to benefit from it and to circulate it and in increase the velocity of money. And the amount that's going to do to carry S&P earnings, to carry Europe, uh, is going to be staggering. And I think it's going to be quick because these people have a ton of savings. They've been locked up uh, for two years. And uh, I think it's going to be off the rails in a good way. And I think that's going to help S&P earnings. And I think that's the surprise in 2023 that no one's positioned for, except for our clients uh, and a few other smart, uh, smart managers. Uh, Hong Kong ends smart and brave, by the way, I would say. Uh, Hong Kong ends last COVID curbs in bid to revive finance hub. Um, okay, so we, we know about all this. China's elite give Paxlovid to friends as demand soars for the COVID drug. Chinese are snapping up flights abroad as Beijing drops more travel restrictions. Uh, Hong Kong's Hang Seng index jumps to four-month high. I mean, what a difference a couple of months makes. Hong Kong scraps vaccine pass, COVID test for travelers. Uh, Tencent gets, uh, extend three month rally after China approves new games. This was the last bit of the crackdown that hadn't been unwound. Uh, so we saw that China, China revenge travel will lift tourism in 2023. Um, China's mega city, Chang King joins Dongguan, Fojian in easing home buying restrictions to revive pillar of the economy. So the game is back on. Uh, Shanghai's economy will expand 6% in 2023 amid wave of foreign investment in post-COVID era, economists predicts. So uh, 6%, I mean, that would be unbelievable. Uh, China vows appropriate fiscal expansion to aid economic growth. That's from today. Um, in 2023, a proactive fiscal policy should be strengthened to improve its effectiveness and play a more direct and effective role. Uh, citing minutes from a nationwide virtual meeting of finance officials chaired by Minister Liu Kun. On to the article of the week. Damn straight stock market and sentiment results. Uh, Damn straight is a song by American country singer Scott McCreary. It was released on October 18, 2021. The song is a tribute to country music legend, legend George Strait. I think as we approach the end of the year, many investors in any risk assets, whether it's stocks or bonds, can relate to his lyrics when he said, Damn straight. You're killing me, man. You know I've always been your biggest fan, and I think that's how people are relating to uh, risk assets right now. And when that gets that despondent, if you're not in buying, find another business. Uh, but uh, there, there's just so much amazing stuff on sale right now. The, the key is, uh, you know, getting more resources to uh, to take advantage of all of it. I mean, you know, it's 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 mind-boggling some of the some of the markdowns in these businesses uh, that can be had at these levels. Even if all the bears are right. And you get your triple break putt and you go down to 3,200. And it's like, it, it really doesn't matter based on where you can buy some of these businesses today is, is mind boggling. So, um, or you could have bought them, you know, uh, as we were in the hole, uh, you know, for, for the Chinese stocks, the hole was in October. For the biotech stocks, the hole was in May. Uh, and for, uh, Cooper Standard was, it was also in, uh, late May, early June. So the good news is it's always darkest before dawn. And as we covered last week, our three largest positions are showing some nice buoyancy. Bob is up over 50% off the lows. Cooper Standard's now up uh, 56%. It's up pretty big in the last two days. Uh, from, from our inception, our basis is around 550. And then uh, Biotech's up, uh, it's probably up closer to 30% off the May lows. It had a big day today. 
while the general market is weak, we're finding some calm in the storm of late. Um, on Wednesday, I joined Kelly O'Grady on Fox Business, covered that. Thanks again to Kat Myers and Liz Clayman for having me on. Uh, you can find our full thesis. So we, we went into Cooper Standard with Kelly, and uh, you can find our full thesis on Cooper Standard by clicking here. Last week, we went into it comprehensively once again. You can also go back to May, but it's basically a reiteration of what we wrote initially in May when we initiated at 550. So uh, yesterday, I also joined uh, J.D. Durkin on the street to discuss general 2023. Now, here's some notes uh, ahead of that segment. So first off, back-to-back -back losing years for stocks are very rare. That happens less than 10% of the time. It only happened twice post-World War II. Uh, which was 73, 74, and 2001 to 2003, uh, and two times pre-war. Um, but on any given negative year, the next year is up on average by 12.6%, 13.5% uh, post-World War II, which is uh, above the long-term average. Uh, we covered the 1982 thing when um, Volcker finally shifted from keep at it to may shift tactics recovered all these gains, losses in four months. Uh, and this would be similar to that 1967 analog where uh, everyone doesn't believe it. And then it gets up here. They all start buying it and you get no returns for like six, seven, eight months. Uh, after they're all sucked in, they get shaken out. And then and that's when you move uh, back into the second half of the secular 20-year secular rally that we're halfway through based on demographics, which we've covered historically uh, many, many times. Um, 12, average 12 month return since 1954 after the Fed pauses is 14%. That's happened 13 times. So if we get a pause in February, uh, you could see that, um, uh, positive things happening thereafter. Earnings coming down. Uh, we covered this before. All the bears saying our earnings have to come down lower. Number one, they've been wrong. They've stayed the same for two months now, 231. But let's say they're right. Uh, the stock market bottoms six to 12 months before earnings do every single time. So by the time, if you wait for the Robins to sing, it's already spring, uh, as Buffett likes to say. And, um, and, and I think Callie Cox put it well, by the time they say that it wasn't a bear market rally, you're at new highs. So good luck with that. And, um, consensus top down expectations are frequently wrong. Uh, coming into this year, the consent, while we were saying we're going to get an eight to 12% correction in the first quarter, you know, we were wrong. It was double that. But uh, most analysts said we were going to 52.61. A 52.64 was consensus. We wound up at 38.21, you know, 3,800 or wherever we are, 3,900 now. And now they're all saying we're only going to be at 4,000 by the end of next year. And my guess is uh, they'll be just as wrong about that. And uh, and we'll probably be, you know, in the high 4,000s uh, and no one's positioned for that. So uh, we are and we're going to take advantage. So uh, negative December bad omen. So uh, four times since World War II, the Dow's been down greater. Than, I'm sorry, the S&P's been down greater than four percent in the month of December. The average 12-month gain is uh, uh, the average gain 12 months later is 20 percent on average. You can see the four instances. Small sample, but worth worth noting. Uh, the Santa Claus rally. There's still chance that goes till the second trading session of the new year so if we get some follow-through on today we could very well have a santa rally which bodes well for january if you have a positive january then on average uh if you have a positive return in january the average return for the year was 17.6 which is well above average since 1950 that has 84.5 percent accuracy presidential cycle we covered we're now moving from the worst 
worst year of the four years to the best year of the four years and the best two quarters of the four years. So we'll see if that follows through. Everyone's saying valuations are still too high because rates are high, but Fed funds rate average has never been this low pre-financial crisis. That's here. It's always been higher. So even in the mania valuations of 99 and from 95 to 99, the Fed funds rate was six and a half percent. We're at 4.25. So um, you know, it's, it's all perspective. You gotta, you gotta take a look at history before you draw these definitive conclusions, just looking at your recency bias when money was free. Uh, inflation was, uh, peaked in June, uh, average 12 month forward return since 1950 after inflation peaks is 13.21%. Uh, and investment ideas we've talked about emerging markets are now trading at 20, uh, 2007 prices. Historically, that trades opposite the U.S. dollar. And um, and just like you saw, every time the dollar peaked and uh, started to weaken, monster rallies 480% from 2002 to 2007, 189% from 2009 to 2011, 96% from 2016 to 2018, and 97% from 20 to 21. You see how uh, this this uh, chart here from Charlie Bellillo, how it moves in cycles when emerging markets dramatically outperforms the, uh, the S&P 500, like from 1988 to 1994. And then from 1994 to 99, the U.S. dramatically outperformed. Then from 99 to 2010, emerging markets dramatically outperformed. Uh, note the weakening dollar during that period. And uh, then again from, um, and now here we are back again, uh, 2010 to 2022, Develop, uh, S&P outperformed and we were back down to levels where we could be ahead of uh, one of the biggest rallies uh, yet in our view. Um, we think emerging markets will be the best trade over the next few years. China is the biggest weight of that, close to 40%. Um, we've covered all the, the factors there. We also like Amazon. Um, Amazon, you can buy at 2018 levels. They've tripled their revenues since that time period. They've tripled uh, tripled their AWS revenues. They've tripled their ad revenues. They've doubled their e-commerce revenues and it's trading at the same price. Oh, and by the way, their prime members are up from 100 million to 163 million. You can't give it away. So it's just a function of what happened with rates and people deleveraging and coming off margin, but it's a great business and it and uh, that one will probably be a double over the next five years. Uh, not our best idea but um, certainly uh, something worth looking at. There are a lot of there are a lot of you know easy double setups. Um, you know our core positions are have um, you know all have multi bagger upside, uh, not double upside, and then the rest of the portfolio, which is proprietary to our clients, uh, have have a lot of these uh, other opportunities in them. So um, here's Alibaba earnings. There's public uh, bullish percentage starting to tick up 26% this week, up from 20. So it's still, you know, barely coming off the mat. Fear is still high. All the conditions perfect for, for some follow through in this rally. We'll see how that goes in coming sessions. Uh, here's the earnings that I wanted to cover with, uh, uh, for calendar year 2023. Consumer discretionary is going to be the highest, uh, earnings growth. No one wants to buy any of them. You can just Google XLY top holdings and, and start to do your work on some of the best opportunities. They're going to grow earnings at 38.5.8. What's everyone? So everyone's saying stay away from consumer discretionary. Everyone's saying get into energy. Well, energy earnings are going to be negative 13% next year. Materials are going to be negative 8%. Healthcare is going to be negative 3%. Uh, they had good earnings this year. Everyone's chasing them into the hole and, uh, and they're going to be, uh, buried. So, 
industrials are going to be pretty good earnings. Financials, pretty good. Commu uh, co communication services. I think communication services and consumers discretionary uh, are going to be solid. And then some pockets of infotech uh, and, and some pockets of REITs. Um, so that's the story there. And then we'll go to um, uh, the economic data. The big thing today, which I want to show you, was the continuing claims shot up to 1.7 million. That gives the Fed cover. They're getting the uh, job weakness that they wanted. Um, unfortunately, they won't have the non-farm payrolls before the February meeting from January. January is when all the layoffs are going to happen. I don't think you're going to see it in the December report. Uh, but they will see these weekly initial claims, uh, you know, four of them before the uh, Fed meeting and uh, initial jobless claims are 225,000 up from 216,000. Uh, so they're, they're all ticking up. And those were the big numbers. Um, okay, so a uh, few ask me anything questions before we wrap up here and let everyone get on to their happy new year. Um, Okay, uh, would appreciate your comments on D-Local from Nicholas Spritzer. Uh, so this is the stock, DLO. You can see here it's, uh, you know, it was a $73 stock. It's now a $15 stock. And then you pull up the... Um, I don't know why this is so slow. I guess a lot of people are on it. Um, okay, so I can start to talk while this thing loads. There we go. Um, Passcode is. All right. So, um, all right. Let's go here. Ticker is DLO. Now, all right, basically, all right, I took a quick look at this before the call. And uh, what you're seeing with this stock, it's a payment processing stock based in Uruguay that does business all over the world, similar to Yala based in Dubai and does a lot of business in China. And the good news is the the economic data is growing in leaps and bounds, but the the problem is is there's only three years of data and uh, so while it's going up dramatically and while all the numbers look great, 
and the stock is beaten down. Uh, number one, I don't know if you have a defensible moat with, um, with payments. And two, um, the gross margins have come down. I think it was from 65% to 48% in three years. And, um, There's only three years of data. And if you've watched the podcast video cast long enough, you'll know I don't touch businesses that don't have multiple years of data. I want to see how management has performed through different cycles. Okay. So you can see here, look, the re this is a tiny business, but you know, the revenues have gone from 55 million to 376. So it's growing like a weed. Um, but then the gross margins have come down from 65% down to 49%. So it's, you know, maybe some of that has to do with COVID, but um, for such a new business, it's like, what is the moat? You know, you've got Square, you've got uh, PayPal, you've got all these different things. Um, so I I think, you know, you could certainly take a punt on this. You know, their, their return on capital is halved in the last four years. It's still very high. Same with return on equity. Um you know, gross margins coming down, but they're still phenomenal. You know, with these type of situations, just like Giala, it's they're tiny, fast growing businesses, high risk, high reward, uh, not a long enough track record of uh, proven operations through cycles. Uh, but, you know, with something like that, it's it's you take a flyer, you know, maybe it's a one percent position. It's not for me, but, uh, you know, here here it is uh, operates payments platform in the US, Europe, China and internationally. Payment platform enables merchants to get paid and make payments online. Like, who doesn't do that? Every bank does it. You know, maybe there's something special about this, like Square or PayPal that kind of, um, uh, you know, got a little bit of an edge and maybe it was a first mover in some of these markets. So you'd have to do uh, more stuff. But it serves as commerce, streaming, ride hailing, financial services, advertising, software as a service, e-learning. On Demand was headquartered, founded in 2016 and is headquartered in Montevideo, Uruguay. So you'd have to go through every conference call and you'd have to understand it. But I, for me, I'd just rather buy a high quality business that's marked down, make a double or triple in a couple of years and move on versus taking this level of risk. Maybe you get a multi-bagger here, uh, but you're kind of gambling. I mean, you've only got three years of track record. You don't know if the business has a moat or if they're going to be just hundreds of, of entrants grinding down the, the gross margins. So I'd say I think the framework of your analysis is correct. Um, and maybe you take a flyer on it because it could work. But, you know, it's 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 better odds than gambling because the numbers are decent. But it's it's you know, it's uh, high risk, high reward. I mean, that that's all there is to it. And that's not our bailiwick. Uh, Saeed, do you have portfolio company suggestions for long-term holds or do you just give spread suggestions? I guess he's referring to the trade service. Uh, trade service is, is shorter term spreads. The long-term holds, we cover some on the, um, on the podcast video cast and our best stuff is obviously reserved for our clients. Uh, Rob Rut, Rutcho says, have you currency hedged your BABA position? If so, how? If not, why not? CNY depreciation seems almost a lock. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Um, no, because the cost to hedge will, it, it, it doesn't make sense on that, on that trade because the cost to hedge will wipe out some of what you think you're gaining. And then you have to be right about your, your estimate. What we know is the dollar's going down or the dollar stabilized. Emerging markets will get bid. And the key is not whether the yuan 
you know, uh, vacillates a, a small percentage, the key is going to be huge institutional flows coming back into the country now that it's safe once again. And that's going to overwhelm any currency movement. Uh, and hedging would, you'd probably, by the time you're done with the costs and the volatility, uh, it paid you nothing to hedge and you might have actually lost some upside. So, no, we wouldn't hedge, hedge that type of position. Nicholas Spritzer, oh, he already said that. Uh, D local. Um, Paul Falcone. Oh, this was one from a few weeks ago. Do you factor dividends into any of your analysis? If you look at a company like VFC, it's down big over the last three years and the dividend yield is at a point where historically speaking, it's been a good time to buy. However, if they can't make the payout, it could substantially impact the stock price. Just curious how you think about dividends. I generally don't. I mean, unless VFC has a history of increasing the dividend for 10 or 20 years, it doesn't really matter. What you'd want to do is a cash flow analysis. I think VFC will probably wind up being a, a decent trade over the next three years as a business. The dividends, I mean, uh, if they're like a dividend aristocrat and they constantly do that, and I know if I can buy it with a high yield over time, that dividend's going to grow. And like, you know, Buffett buying Coca-Cola in 1989, in 20 years, that dividend yield can be 50% off my basis because the dividend keeps compounding. Uh, that would be interesting. But VF Corp, I don't think is that high quality of a business where you're going to see that massive dividend increase consistently and predictably over years. But I think it is a beaten down enough business, again, in consumer discretionary, that it may be worth a hard look and uh, doing some real work on it. Uh, Eric Haney, uh, given the recent news and earnings from Cooper Standard in the past months, are you concerned at all that there's been no insider purchasing uh, there can't be insider purchasing when there are negotiations to do the deal. So uh, I would expect to see no insider purchasing until after January 18th. And my guess is if the stocks moved up quite a bit, uh, they, you know, they may not be purchasers and, you know, uh, at that high levels, but um, that would be the earliest that they're able to purchase. Uh, okay. And we covered Rob. So with that said, I really want to thank everyone for an incredible year um, and, uh, wishing everyone the best of everything, health, happiness, prosperity in 2023, going to be a great one. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now. Happy new year.